Paul is in anguish before John sees the future, as the Bible story culminates in trouble before blessing bursts forth. On The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. Paul struggled throughout his whole ministry. A struggle that he said caused him great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. One which, if it were in his power to resolve, he would have given up his eternally blessed future with God for its resolution. This wasn't a physical malady or a personal spiritual struggle, however. This was all about his people. All about the Israelites from whom Paul came, Peter came, Jesus came, David came, and Moses came. Paul was in anguish because these people, by and large, had rejected their Messiah. The one so long anticipated in the Hebrew Bible, foreseen in the great covenants, promised in the magnificent prophecies. This one had finally come and yet he was rejected by the very people entrusted with the promise of his coming. The majority of the Jews had made a critical error, perhaps the critical error that any of us could make. They set up their own way to attain righteousness before God. They took the law of Moses, amplified it with additional rules and regulations, and then used that as their measuring stick to see whether they were righteous or not. They preferred the law delivered through Moses to the faith demonstrated by Abraham. And in doing this, they failed not only to see their Messiah when he came, but to believe in him for their own righteousness. Instead of faith in Jesus, they hurled accusations at him, even accusing him of being in league with Satan. Instead of faith, they accused Jesus of being a lawbreaker and a sinner. Instead of faith, they pierced their Messiah with nails in his hands and feet. Paul said it this way, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. While many among Israel stumbled over this fact, a small portion of them did believe and were saved, while the larger portion of Israel rejected their Savior and King. This is what caused Paul so much anguish. He saw his ancestral people, and he saw hardened people hardened against the one who'd come to save them. Paul did have hope, though, because in the midst of his anguish, he knew what the scriptures said. He knew the history of his people, and most importantly, he knew his God. The God who sent Jesus to save all the nations of the world wouldn't reject, nor would he forget about his people. No, while he would harden them for a time in their rebellion against him, just as he had done at various times in Israel's past, so God would also eventually remove the hardening. 
Paul even said this in this letter to the largely Gentile church at Rome. He said, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, unbelieving Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all, Jew and Gentile, to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Paul understood that despite his great heartache at the state of his people, that God's great mercy was at work in the world because of it. A partial hardening had come upon the unbelieving people of Israel, and in this hardening, the gospel went forth to the Gentiles. Starting with Cornelius at Caesarea, by the time Paul had written this letter, the gospel had exploded among the Gentiles of the Roman Empire. People all over the known world were beginning to hear about Jesus and the salvation that he accomplished for any who would come to him by faith. The Jewish rejection served as accelerant for the gospel's proclamation to the nations. Just as God had promised to Abraham, it would be in his seed that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus is that seed, and he is the blessing to the nations. And it's through Jesus that God began his initial offensive into the rebellious world. An offensive that would bring uncountable multitudes into the blessing of God through the Spirit-empowered church. But one that wouldn't reach its culmination until that future day. Paul knew that God's plan for Israel would be accomplished. Some day in the future, God would finally save all Israel. They would come to him. He would take away their sins, and he would fully establish the new covenant among the houses of Israel returned from exile. He would reunite them under a single banner, with a single king. Someday Jesus would reign over them. Someday they would have faith like Paul so hoped. Someday Israel would be saved. But before that day would be dark days. Days of trouble unlike the world has ever seen. A time of great tribulation. Before that great day would be Jacob's time of trouble. The Apostle John knew well the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Words of a future time of trouble, followed by great blessing. Jeremiah had said this on behalf of Yahweh many centuries before. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, 
and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. John also remembered the words of Jesus there outside Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives spoken to the disciples. Words spoken only days before Jesus died on that horrific cross, at the base of which John had stood with Jesus' mother. Words spoken in response to a critical question from the disciples on that pivotal week for world history. There on the Mount of Olives they had asked, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus spoke of great trouble. Jesus replied with these words and others, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars, and on the earth great distress of nations, with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. John remembered all these words, both of Jeremiah and of Jesus. And here on the island of Patmos, where he'd been sent into exile because of his gospel proclamation, he surely pondered many of the words as he considered the end of his life and the church extending beyond it. Yet while he was here on the island, God allowed him to see that future that he'd probably only imagined before. John would become a prophet, seeing the future. And as he saw, he saw great calamity upon the world in this time of trouble. He saw a figure rising to conquer the earth. War, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, and tectonic shifts changing the topography of the earth. He saw hail that destroyed a third of the earth's plant life. Destruction of a third of the oceans with blood. The contamination of a third of the earth's water a new depth of darkness caused by the dimming of celestial bodies, the invasion of the earth by demonic locusts, and the death of a third of mankind. John saw such devastation that the biblical scenes of Egypt among the plagues or Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction become trite. This devastation will be a time of God's great wrath upon the planet that has so rejected him and rejected his salvation. It's a devastation manifested 
when God finally says, No more. No more rebellion. And yet, in the midst of the seven-year period of time, where believers have been taken into heaven, Paul's hope will begin to be realized. A revival will begin among the tribes of Israel, and many will come to salvation even in the midst of such devastation. They will understand their folly at rejecting Christ, and they will come not only to salvation, but to great proclamation of the gospel to the peoples of the earth. While at the beginning of this tribulation period, many from among Israel will come to Christ, there will also be an enemy. An enemy that will make a peace covenant with Israel, only to break that covenant halfway through this seven-year period. This enemy, the ultimate Antichrist, will then desecrate the temple in Jerusalem and turn the people with whom he made a covenant only years before into enemy number one. Many believers from among Israel will be martyred. Many will die horrific deaths. Many will follow those steps of Jesus. Israel, the nation that came from Jacob the patriarch, will have its time of trouble. And in its time of trouble, the world will suffer. John continued to see more devastation, sores covering those who'd begun to worship the Antichrist, all the seas being turned to blood, all the rivers and springs being turned to blood, the intensity of the sun increasing to scorch the inhabitants of the earth, darkness upon the evil kingdom of the Antichrist, the assemblage of the great armies of the earth upon the plain of Megiddo in the land of Canaan, and finally, with all these armies gathered, an earthquake of such magnitude with accompanying hail that all natural borders and topography are irreparably changed. Nothing could prepare the world for these calamitous events of the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Nothing could prepare the world for this event, nor for the one after. Because John didn't just see calamity, no, he saw something else. Because right at the end of this time period, in the midst of darkness, earthquakes, blood, and fury, John looks up and the heavens split. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023